Hey, it's John Lee Dumas of EO Fire, and it's The Entrepreneurial You, the show for dedicated and passionate Caribbean entrepreneurs seeking daily inspiration, brought to you by author, speaker, and award-winning entrepreneur, Henneke Watkins-Porter. You must be prepared to ignite. Coming up on this episode of The Entrepreneurial You. If it's unethical or illegal, those are not lines I'm willing to cross. But other than that, 90 to 100 hours a week, not seeing my newborn for the first two or three years of his life. Those are tremendous sacrifices that still are kind of gut-wrenching to me to this day because I can't get those t- that time back with my kids. And that time in my life, I can't get that back. And so they're tremendous sacrifices. But if you're willing to delay gratification and you're willing to do things that, quite frankly, most people in this world aren't willing to do, then you can accomplish things that most people aren't willing or aren't going to be able to accomplish. Within you is the light of a thousand suns, Robert Adams. And of course, I continue to share with you about eClincher, the social media management tool to make your life easier, to get back time on your hands, to do the things you've always wanted to do, to improve your clients' collaboration and productivity with your team and all of that. eClincher is a tool for you. Now, I invite you to go sign up for a free 14-day trial using my affiliate link, which will be in the show notes of this episode. So eClincher... 14-day free trial, check it out. Whether you're an SME, an agency, or an enterprise, it is for you. You'd be glad you did. Now I want to say greetings to you, Howdy. Welcome to episode 239 of the Entrepreneurial You podcast. I'm your host, Henneke Watkins-Porter. Now, today's episode is with Dave Laundromat Millionaire Men's. <laughs> Dave Men's is a laundromat industry veteran and the owner of the Queen City Laundry chain of laundromats in Cincinnati, Ohio. Dave's inspirational journey from poverty to becoming a millionaire has inspired many entrepreneurs to try and overcome their own obstacles while building wealth. Dave is a host of the Laundromat Millionaire Business Podcast and author of his book, Laundromat Millionaire, to be released in late 2020, late this year. I hope by the time this airs, then it will be out. He's here to share some of the secrets to his success, and I'm really looking forward to having this conversation. We'll be talking about from poverty to prospering with millions. Welcome, Dave. Hi, Annika. How are you doing today? Thanks for having me. You're welcome, and I'm doing great. Good. So do you have anything that you know about Jamaica that you think is interesting that you want to share with us? You know, the stereotypical steel drums is what comes to mind for me, which I have always thought that was one of the most beautiful things in the world. I'm a music person myself, so I guess that's what jumps out to me. Okay, good enough. Fair enough. All right. Yeah. Let's talk about <laughs> From Poverty to Prospering with Millions. Tell us about your journey. Um, you grew up poor. Talk to us about that. What was your background, your background like, you know, growing up as a child? Yeah, so my uh, real quickly, my parents uh, got married uh, their senior year of high school, or I'm sorry, had a child. Their senior year of high school got married right out of high school. So our family was kind of always behind the eight ball, so to speak financially speaking and preparation wise for life. We had a pretty good support system as far as grandparents and things like that that were very middle class, but our our family was always very poor. We had most of what we needed and that's about it, but hardly anything of what we we wanted, so to speak. Um, I always had a roof over my head, but short of that, we absolutely lived in fairly extreme poverty for the first nine to 10 years of my life. I grew up in Flint, Michigan, which is a pretty rough area um, in the United States. And so, you know, you kind of learn through the school of hard knocks that if you 
if you want something in life, you, you better go figure out a way to earn it, even when you're five, six, seven years old. <laughs> By default, I kind of learned, you know, what they call old school hustle, you know? <laughs> yeah, hustle and grind, yeah. Right, that's right, that's right. So what are some of those ex- examples of some of the experiences that you've had and you like, you know, that is poverty? What, what are some of those? You know, I, one of the stories that jumps out to me pretty often is I'm not exactly sure what age I was, but we always had very, we usually had one car that was very unreliable, uh, especially when I was very young. And in Michigan, we get a lot of snow. And so it gets really cold there and the weather can get really bad. And we had one day where we broke down on the side of the highway and the snow was so bad that could, no one could really get to us. The car was completely dead, so we had no heat and we just kind of had to huddle up on the side of the road. A tow truck could have gotten to us, but we didn't have any money uh, to pay a tow truck. And so we ended up sitting on the side of the road and and we were very, very cold for four or five hours before one of my grandfathers was able to drive four and a half hours through the weather, which was only an hour away, by the way, to to rescue us, so to speak. And that that's just kind of a microcosm of the first 10 years of my life was we were just, you know, the electric would get shut off. I mean, mom and dad were hustlers themselves. I mean, they were hardworking, honest people. So they always figured out a way to get it turned back on. You know, I always say there's, you know, poverty is relative, of course. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. So I, I don't claim that I grew up as poor as some people, uh, but I certainly, uh, certainly learned a lot of valuable lessons in grit and hustle and things like that just out of pure necessity. Because I learned very young in life that if I wanted anything, I was going to have to go figure out a way to get it. So I was always the kid that was cutting grass and selling lemonade and selling candy just so I could raise enough money to be able to play baseball because my parents would make sure I could get to and from games, but they didn't have the money for even something as simple as like a baseball registration or something like that. And once again, this is early on in my childhood. Later on in my childhood, you know, we were, we were probably lower middle class is how I would describe us when I was into my teenage years. Mm-hmm. But a lot of formative lessons there, for sure. Yeah, formative lessons. I'd love to hear some of those lessons that you've learned and, and how those triggered the entrepreneurial journey to start. Yeah, so, you know, every every little kid likes to uh, <laughs> likes to go to the, or most that I know at least, like to go to the local store and, you know, get your candy. My kids, you know, if they want to do something like that, we, we hop in the car and we drive up to the store. When I was really young, I remember asking my parents if I could just have 50 cents because candy was a lot cheaper back then. And we were going to ride our bikes up to the store and get some candy. And I remember my parents telling me that they didn't have 50 cents. And so we grew up in Michigan where they have a bottle deposit. I'm not sure if you know what that is, but basically the gist of it is when you buy any cans or bottles at the store with any drinks in them, um, you pay an extra 10 cent deposit. And the idea is to keep you know, keep all that trash from ending up on the side of the road. You bring them, bring these things back to the store when they're empty and you get that 10 cents back. Uh, so yeah, very, yeah, yeah, yeah. We do that. We exchange that? bottles. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. Mm-hmm. So very young, you learn that, you know, if you, if you, if you want to get some candy or some toys or whatever, you can usually uh, ride your bike around the neighborhood. And if you do it for long enough, you know, you'll usually find a couple cans, a couple bottles, what have you, and you can take them to any retailer and they'll exchange them for cash for you. And so we would do that on a fairly regular basis just to get anything that we wanted as kids that a lot of kids, quite frankly, probably take for granted. Uh, something just like a piece of bubble gum or a Tootsie Roll or something like, you know, Lemonheads candy or something like that. And that was just that was just common for us. You know, all the kids around me had, the you know, once again, I was a baseball player. And so the kids around me had the nice gloves and the nice bats and their own helmets and things like this. And 
if I had a glove, it was from a from a yard sale or borrowed from a teammate. I never had my own bat or my own you know helmet. I was always using the team bats and those types of things. And once again, compared to a lot of people in other countries, this isn't poverty. <laughs> but you know, we we had we had the bare minimums of what we needed to survive. And when those bare minimums, like that car breaking down, uh, when those stories kind of happened, you know, we we usually didn't have a backup plan. So it would it would often get, you know, a little chaotic for a while until we were able to. The one thing I did have going for us is I had a very large family and most of them were poor, too. But, you know, if your car breaks down, a lot of times your uncle can give you a ride unless his car breaks down kind of thing. So that once again, that was just kind of my childhood in a nutshell was a lot of those life lessons of, you know, you don't go to mom and dad for anything because they don't have it. You know, they're probably arguing and fighting over whether they're going to be able to pay the bills this month or not or where we're going to live or if we're going to have to go stay with our grandparents or something like that. So you just learn real early on that if you want anything that a lot of kids take for granted, you better go figure out a way to earn it. Mm -hmm. So and how did that inspire your entrepreneurial journey? This is start because I want to get into the business, but I want to hear that, that, you know, that mindset and how it helped you. Yeah. Well, once again, I learned those lessons whether I wanted to or not. Right. And so, you know, a lot of those entrepreneurial, you know, when you're when you're five, six, seven, eight years old, you can't just go get a job, which is how a lot of adults, you know, provide for themselves. And that wasn't an option for us kids. And so we had to, once again, cut the grass, get a job delivering newspapers, uh, buy candy from the local store for a dime and then turn around and sell it for a quarter at school the next day. Uh, you know, we 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 learned the uh, the hustle that is entrepreneurship uh, once again, whether we wanted to or not. And one of the things I loved about entrepreneurship, even at that foundational level like that, was just the freedom associated with I can go like there are no limitations. As many bottles as I can find, as many pieces of candy as I can buy and find a buyer for them. There were no limitations on what I could accomplish. And if I wanted to buy a $200 baseball bat that my family could never afford in a million years, then I just had to be willing to work hard enough and long enough and diligent enough to to earn those things. And so those were the, the lessons that were instilled in me very early on in life and how those carried through in life is as I got to be older and I kind of you know, saw and was taught the more traditional path of getting a job. I just always felt like, yeah, but 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 other people do this, like other people start businesses and and, you know, do these different entrepreneurial things. And I didn't know anyone in my life that had ever owned a business uh, that were successful in business. Everybody I knew was poor for the most part. The few people that were moderately successful had very blue collar, middle class jobs. And so everyone in my life, my parents, everyone, whenever I would bring up business ownership or entrepreneurship or anything like that, as I got a little older, that flame was very quickly put out by that's that's not what we do. Like when you grew up in poverty, a lot of times well-meaning adults uh, kind of tamp down on your dreams and your ambitions. And they're like, you just need to figure out how to pay your rent or pay your light bill or whatever. And so that was kind of the mindset that I was raised with was I saw these real life lessons of what could be and what I could accomplish and how there weren't, there wasn't a ceiling. There was no limitation on those. But then I had these parents and adults that were supposed to know, you know, much more than me. And they were telling me, no, 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 that's not real. You can't go do those things. That's what other people does um, or do. And I just always, as a, as a very young kid, I, I was always very stubborn. I still am very stubborn. And, and I just always said, but, but if they can do it, why can't I do it? 
And so I don't know if you call that self-taught. <laughs> I'm not exactly sure what angle you come at that from with, but just my upbringing in my life. And I've always been a very observant kid. So I was always observing people that were successful in business ownership and entrepreneurship. And one of the things they rec- I recognized in them in their journeys was the same things I recognized in me and my little mini journeys as a kid was they had no limitations. They had freedom to go and do as they pleased. As long as they had enough money to pay for this and that, they had complete freedom. They didn't have any rules. And I'm a very, I'm also a very fiercely independent person, was as a kid and still am as an adult. And so the entrepreneurial business world was just something that was always very attractive to me. And despite people telling me that I shouldn't or couldn't do those things, I just had that stubborn streak in within me that would just look at, you know, people that I otherwise loved and respected. And I would just say, I don't believe you. Like whether it was an aunt or a parent or a grandparent, I don't believe you. And I, I could be five, I could be 15, I could be 25. I just did not believe that I couldn't accomplish those things that I saw other people doing. And so that's that's a part of kind of my upbringing and kind of my, you know, my DNA, so to speak, and what caused me to just really always want to pursue a life um, of, of business ownership and entrepreneurship, mostly for the freedom aspects associated with it. Okay, so let's dive into Queen City Laundry chain of laundromats, right? How did that start? When did that start? And how has it been going? Yeah, well, the, the funny thing about the story is everything I just told you, you know, when I became an adult, I went and got a very stereotypical job <laughs> at the local telephone company here in Cincinnati. And uh, I worked in corporate America, you know, doing the nine to five type of thing for, you know, 12, 13 years. And I I kind of I kind of fell into an opportunity at the local phone company. I got promoted several times, learned a lot of valuable skills, and I ended up being in this position where um, I felt like I had kind of maxed out my corporate career. I was in middle management, had a pretty good job, but wasn't wasn't going anywhere. And all of a sudden, one day, it just kind of spurred on me. Wait, what are you doing? This isn't this isn't what you've been doing for twelve or thirteen years. Isn't the life you always wanted as a kid? you've fallen into this rut of a nine to five job and a paycheck to paycheck mentality. And for some reason, something just kind of snapped at me one day. And I was just like, you know what? I'm not doing this anymore. I always had a dream of owning my own business and that's what I'm going to pursue. Well, I had a conversation with my wife, who's a very supportive person, but a very traditional, you know, school teacher type of uh, mentality and academia, if you will. And she very much supported me. And so for the next four or five years, we lived well below our means, stayed in our corporate jobs, saved up some seed money. And in my early 30s, I ended up purchasing a local laundromat a couple miles from my house as just what I thought would be kind of a little side business, if you will. I I learned about the business. The business was losing money when I acquired it. I I learned the business. Um, I'm very passionate about everything that I do. So I dove in very deep on the education and the networking and the industry and learning everything about the idiosyncrasies of running a successful laundromat. And what I learned is that most laundromats aren't well run. They're not even really treated like a true business by the owners. And they're a lot of times not respected by the business community and the entrepreneurial community. And so I really took that to heart. And I said, you know what? Just like I didn't listen to those little kids, like I'm not going to listen to this industry that says this is the way that we do things or people outside the industry saying, well, that's not a real business. You know, that's a little vending business, but it's not a real business. And so over the next 10 or 12 years, one store grew into two, two grew into three, three grew into four. I'm currently building my fifth. And we ended up, we ended up building a chain of local laundromats here in Cincinnati that are 
all very profitable. They're very what I call modernized laundromats. So they're not your stereotypical laundromat. They provide a, a vital community resource to the communities that they serve in. And they've they've changed my family tree. I mean, they've made made me and my family very wealthy through servitude, you know, by serving our communities really well. We've gotten to the point now where, you know, we're financially free. And so it's been a it's been kind of a wild and crazy journey and pretty untraditional. You know, a lot of people aren't aware of the true opportunity that laundromats pose to us entrepreneurs and us business people. And that's part of my message is I want to get that out there to the mainstream world. That the laundromat business is a, is a fantastic business. And I believe it's one of the best businesses out there. Mm-hmm. You mentioned that the laundromat business, for the most part, isn't well run, doesn't isn't treated like a business and so on. So how did you differentiate and what, what did you do differently to make it the success that it is for your business? Yeah, they, the biggest word I can think to associate with that is just servitude or modernization or probably a combination of both. I was raised as a young kid. My faith has taught me to to serve others, that that's what we're here to do is to serve each other. And so that was always a very natural transition for me into business ownership was just to look for opportunities where the laws of supply and demand were tipped away from my favor or in my favor. Meaning that, you know, for example, this local laundromat that I bought, it was a rundown dump. It was it was disgusting. Most of the equipment was out of order. It was unsafe. There was no employees watching after the place. The owner didn't care. They just showed up and collected their money. And the, the local bad guys in the neighborhood just kind of took over. And so obviously, you know, I had nowhere to go but up. And I knew that when I acquired it. And I just I just have now spent 10 or 12 years focusing on all the foundational things that are any good business serving the community, modernizing, reinvesting, what I call keeping your hand out of the cookie jar, which is kind of a, you know, a cliche way of saying reinvesting, you know, delayed gratification in your business. I have this kind of mindset that I approach life with and my businesses as well, which is I'm not competing with anyone. I don't have competitors. I have rivals, but I don't have competitors. And what I do is I get up each day and I'm only competing with myself. And so I've built a team. We have about 40 employees that work in our organization now. And I built a team of hustlers and grinders and people that are full of grit. And I've taught them the laundromat industry, but I've taught them in a way that that attributes itself to their character traits. And so we just focus on a lot of the things that people in our industry don't, which is modernizing the payment systems, having very nice modern facilities, having friendly, well-trained customer service associates in the stores to actually hold the door help people carry in their laundry. We invest heavily in the infrastructure and in the technology and in the the equipment, you know, commercial washers and dryers, you know, they're they're very robust, they're very well built. And if you want to, you can kind of milk them for 30, 40, 50 years and keep them quote unquote running. But you're losing a lot of efficiencies and a lot of modernization along the way. And so every 10 to 12 years we replace all of our equipment uh, with brand new modernized equipment. And so we're kind of what you, you know, the laundromat industry relativity, but we're, we try to be kind of cutting edge as far as cleanliness, safety, customer service, and the modernization of the equipment and the facilities. I mean, we have leather couches in our stores. We have ATMs. We accept credit card payments. We have a modernization uh, laundry pickup and delivery service. We have a, tr- a fleet of three trucks right now that drive around the greater Cincinnati area doing laundry pickup and delivery what a lot of people kind of associate is like the the uber of laundry if you will we go to people's homes and businesses pick up their laundry bring it back to the store process it overnight and then bring it back to them the next day and that's into grow that's grown into a pretty substantial business and so i've been able to learn myself 
and teach a lot of others in the industry that the laundromat industry is no different than any other industry and we can operate at a different level. And the beauty of it is if you do these things, that that's actually incredibly profitable because, you know, like any business, you just want to look for market differentiators, ways to differentiate yourself from those competitors or those rivals. And that's really, honestly, Henneke, that's all I've really done is just kind of focus on serving people in a way that most people in my industry won't or can't. And and it's it's really been a game changer. <laughs> wow, you know, just listening to that, I just feel like I want to pick up myself from Jamaica and come to use one of those laundromats in oh, the US, you know, right? Seriously. Thank you. That means a lot to me. Yeah, it, it does sound that way. I, I like what you're doing. And my question to you now that follows is, why the laundromat business? You know, why? I mean, you could have done anything else. Why that yeah. business? Well, you know, because I didn't have a lot of seed money when I was looking at businesses to buy and get into and I didn't have much experience, um, I was pretty limited because I knew whatever job, whatever business I purchased, I would need to stay in my full time job for a while that I couldn't just quit my job today and start a business tomorrow. I had a young family. I had three kids. I had a three week old at home and a wife when we bought our first laundromat. So you talk about bad timing. <laughs> and uh, and we were we were you know, we were we were a middle class family. And we were living to willing to live below our means, but we weren't willing to obviously be homeless. So me and my wife kept our full time jobs. And so I was looking for a business opportunity that could kind of be run, quote unquote, on the side. You know, you could call it a side hustle or a passive business or a semi passive business or a flexible business. You could use a lot of different words to describe this industry. But that was one of the things that attracted me to it was I could keep my full time job. And I saw at least for a temporary time frame. And so I did that for about three and a half, four years while I grew one laundromat into two and two into three. And then when I acquired my third store, that's when I that's when I quit my full time job. And that's really when our businesses started to soar because then I could focus full time on them. But during that during that three, four, five year time frame where I was buying businesses, growing businesses, trying to renovate them because they were all very run down, nasty laundromats and working my full time job and commuting. I mean, during that four or five year period, I probably worked 90 to 100 hours a week for pretty much four years straight. And so there was a lot of sacrifice and a lot of delayed gratification. But we just took all the money that the businesses made during that time frame and reinvested them either making back and making that business better or in acquiring our next business. And that's kind of how we took a fairly small amount of seed money that we had saved up. And we were able to buy one business and scale it to another and scale it to another and then eventually we got to the point where, you know, we could we could afford to replace my salary by me quitting my full time job. And even then we still kind of, you know, delayed gratification. We paid when I quit my full time job, we paid our family out of the business income, the exact same salary that I was making at my job when I left. In fact, a little bit less. And uh, and that was uh, that was a that was a big part of how we kind of built our little mini laundromat empire, if you will. Wow. It's an interesting story. And at this point, I'm going to ask you to share with my community one piece of advice. Those listening, thinking, you know, I may be faced now with a situation of poverty. How do I prosper? What kind of a mindset I need? Just kind of wrap it up with share anything that you may have left out in our conversation so far to inspire this community of peak performers. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. You know, I, I think I think a lot of what I already said is what I would say in the sense of you don't let others tell you what you can and can't do. Don't let others put limitations on you. If you do grow, did grow up poor, 
there's a lot of life lessons that are actually strengths of yours that people that have grown up a little bit more privileged and maybe a little bit softer in some ways haven't learned those lessons. So, you know, you're you're not as behind the eight ball as you think you are. You just have a different group of skill sets, a different group of gifts, if you will, that you've learned throughout your life. So take those things and channel them. And and like I said before, you know, it, I think we all have a certain level of stubbornness and independence in us. Some of us have to work a little bit harder to channel it and pull it out of us. But if you want something bad enough and you're willing to do, you know, I always say the only thing, I'm, two things I'm not willing to do to be successful are legal or ethical. If it's unethical or illegal, those are not lines I'm willing to cross. But other than that, 90 to 100 hours a week, not seeing my newborn for the first two or three years of his life, those are tremendous sacrifices that still are kind of gut-wrenching to me to this day because I can't get those t- that time back with my kids. And that time in my life, I can't get that back. And so they're tremendous sacrifices. But if you're willing to delay gratification and you're willing to do things that, quite frankly, most people in this world aren't willing to do, then you can accomplish things that most people aren't willing or aren't going to be able to accomplish. So, you know, we I think I think we as humans like to put a lot of limitations on ourselves. And and regardless of what our background is, what our education is, what our nationality is, I, I really think that we need to just throw all that out the window and just have the five year old Dave Menz's attitude of. I don't believe you. I can accomplish anything I want to accomplish. Get out of my way because I don't believe what you tell me. So I don't know if it's a long winded answer. I apologize. But I think that's really what I would tell your viewers and what I hope that people get out of uh, my story. Yeah, but, you know, you have shared from your heart. And and so our listeners would be happy. I'm sure they're, you know, they're inspired from what you shared. Dave, the laundromat millionaire men's. It's such a pleasure talking, talking with you today. And I really wish you continued success on your onward journey as you continue to inspire not just your family, not just those around you, but the world as we look on. Thank you, Hanukkah. I appreciate that very much. Awesome. Oh, by the way, before I do that, how could I not ask Dave to share his contact details with you? Ah, oh, we're miss <laughs> of me. Go right ahead, Dave. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, I mean, I have a website, laundromatmillionaire.com. That's kind of a little, you know, catchphrase that's, or a, what do they call it, a nickname that uh, that someone gave me along my journey because I am a millionaire at this point and, and obviously became wealthy through laundromats. So I just decided to kind of take that and run with it. I do offer coaching for our laundromat industry, people that are interested in getting into the industry. And you can find that. And then I have a book, as you mentioned, coming out. You know, I'm not sure when this will well, this episode will be released, but my book will be coming out around October 1st, 2021. So if you're watching it after that, the book should be out. It'll be available on Amazon, all the traditional places, just kind of telling my story. And it'll also be available on my website as well. Absolutely, because it comes out. Your episode is coming out about the second week of October. So oh, yes, fantastic. by then it will be out. Absolutely. Perfect. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Dave. And thank you, my people, Formo, for tuning in to this amazing, inspiring episode talking about From Poverty to Prospering with Millions with Dave Menz. Dave, the laundromat millionaire Menz. Such an honor and privilege to be speaking with him today. I look forward to connecting with you next week. Of course, in the meantime, please reach out to me, connect with me on my website, hennikawatkisporter.com. Send me a WhatsApp message from my homepage, and I'll be happy to engage with you. And here's our point of hope for this week. All hard work brings a profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. Proverbs 14, verse 23. What good? We needed to raise capital. 
but our experience with local financial institutions was that they were cautious and slow to act and interest rates were far too high. We had real concerns about financing our business through outside equity investors and the possibility of interference. Could we get a fair valuation for our business? We had our own ideas about the business and its value. Should I go the traditional route of bank financing or should I try the Jamaica Stock Exchange? So we made a call and experienced transformation of our business through conversations. I'm John Mafood, CEO of Jamaican Teas, and we're listed on the Jamaica Stock Exchange. Give us a call today at 876-967-3271 to begin your transformation through conversation. We want to see your company listed on the Jamaica Stock Exchange. 